Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Christina Jennings, Chief Executive and Chairman of Shaftesbury, about the Canadian drama producer's recent investment from US cable player AMC Networks. And Richard Farnborough, founder and former chief executive of UK indie Reef Television, on the launch of his new streaming aggregation service, Must TV. Christina Jennings is chief executive and chairman of Canadian drama producer Shaftesbury, which earlier this month received investment from US cable and streaming operator AMC Networks. She spoke with Clive Whittingham about the deal, how Shaftesbury got through 2020 the critical role insurance will play in productions in 2021 and why Canada is rapidly reaching saturation point with US series heading north of the border. Christina, hi, thank you for, for joining us. Uh, for those that uh, that don't know, can you give uh, yourself and your company a bit of an introduction, uh, please? Why would we know Shaftesbury? Oh, hi. So, hi, everybody. Um, I'm Christina Jennings. I'm the, chief, I'm the chairman and the CEO of Shaftesbury. Uh, we're a company here in Toronto. We do have a, a, a small office in London, England. Um, we've been around for about 30 years, doing an awful lot of co-productions over that period. Probably the, the, the listeners know us best, I suppose, for Murdoch mysteries is probably you know um, one of our chief claims to fame if that's the expression you know murdoch's going you know in 14 seasons in you know started out as three movies a fairly big global hit um but we do other shows like departure with archie punjabi and and now unfortunately the late christopher Plummer. so you know that that's really what what we do um i say mostly based here in toronto and uh you know have done an awful lot of co-pros no not just with the uk but with france and ireland and new zealand Zealand and, and like that. How, uh, as best you can sum up, how was 2020 uh, for you? Well, I mean, for all of us, it was, you know, it was a shock. But for Shaftesbury, it was actually pretty good. We uh, we were very fortunate that we had insurance for all of our productions in 2020, which is not the case for some producers. So we did have insurance and we were able to produce five primetime series last year, which was a lot. And we did it incredibly successfully in terms terms of there were no shutdowns, uh, you know, we had no issues on set. I mean, there was a very big cost to that. I mean, I, one of the things we did as early as April of last year was hire actually medical consultants affiliated with Mount Sinai Hospital here in Toronto and said, look, we're TV producers, film producers. Um, we don't know anything about coronavirus and pandemics. So what do you think would be a set of best practices when we come back to work? Because of course, this at that point, we were all completely shut down. And so we started back in April figuring out our own set of protocols and then working with our, interestingly, our partners around the world. Like we talked to New Zealand, which was one of the first countries out of the gate back into production. We talked to the partner there about, you know, what was it like? What have you learned? How can we learn from you? So we did this immense sharing of information with producers around the world, uh, worked, of course, with our unions here with these protocols, and they were incredibly costly. I mean, there was no support for those protocols. I mean, we're an independent company. You know, broadcasters weren't giving us money to to implement these protocols. For you know, Shaftesbury, like many, you know, we implemented the pod system. So each one of our shows had uh, five pods, and never the pods met. Uh, to be really honest, and so what would happen is if you had an issue, then it, that was it was isolated to that pod, and then it's all about contact tracing again. Um, you know, who's who have they been in contact? You know, all of that stuff, and that worked incredibly 
incredibly, incredibly well for us. And the thing that, that we were so aware of is there we all were as producers and crew. In fairness, I, I hardly ever as a producer went to set in 2020. I did all of that remotely. But, you know, you as crew, there you all are all masked. And then you look to the, your actors and there they all standing, you know, really without masks doing their craft. And you realize just how important adhering to the protocols is. Because if they get sick, then the show goes down. So as I say, Shasti was very, very lucky that we were able to get through, you know, what was, I mean, five primetime series in any year is a is a big year. You know, so for us to do five in, in COVID was quite remarkable, really. What's the outlook for, for 2021? Because we hear a lot about it being the year of unscripted, um, obviously a less challenged genre to, to produce and, and drama being quite challenged for a while. How, how do you guys see it? Well, I think for us and for all of us, and I, I mean that not just Canadian producers, but global producers, it's the issue of insurance. So if Shasta was very lucky that in 2020, all our shows had insurance, the issue facing us and many um, is whether we will in fact find insurance in 2021. Now, our federal government had stepped up in the fall of last year with a $50 million insurance program, which went to the end, it goes to the end of March. And we are hearing, I think even yesterday, the, um, the heritage minister at primetime here in Canada talked about the fact that the government is seriously looking at extending the insurance program. And that's really the only way to get back to work in 2021 is you have to have insurance. Maybe if you're a really tiny little web series, Clive, maybe you might go at it or a very low budget feature. You might try it without insurance. But a company like us, you know, with big series, we, you know, we're not going to take that risk that something happens and you go down and there's no, there's no protection. So the real question is, will there be insurance in 2021? What's the cost of that insurance? And how quickly can we mount our show? So if I look at our slate on paper, you know, we've got a good year in 2021, assuming that we get the insurance in place. I think the other thing that we're we're finding, Clive, here, and certainly I can speak for Toronto, I can't really speak for Vancouver, though I'm hearing a bit the same, is that production, American production, you know, is really, really alive and well in Toronto. And the thing about that is that, you know, they've got much deeper pockets than we do as Canadian producers. And so things right now, like studio space, you know, is very hard to come by. Really key, like crew, are very hard to come by because U.S. broadcasters and studios are, are tying up studios and really key individuals in sort of, you know, multi-year deals. So it's, you know, again, I, I you've probably heard me say this before. One of the things I, I sort of like about Canadians is we've got sort of got this spirit, this what I call the can-do spirit. You know, we can do it. We can do it. Okay, we don't have quite as much money as they do, but we can do it and it's going to be great and we're going to pull together and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I think that's going to be a bit of the attitude going into 2021. I think Shaftesbury's fortunate because we have so much domestic production. That is what we do. We're a domestic producer. And so crews know that, that Shaftesbury's going to stay here. So we've got a lot of loyalty amongst crews. So I'm I am feeling I'm feeling quite good about 2021 well, with the caveat around insurance. Obviously, a show of faith a week or so back with with some investment from AMC in the US. Can you just tell us about that that deal broadly to start with? Well, it was, as I said, we've been in business about 30 years, Clive. Um, there's a moment at which as a company you realize, and you know, we're all looking at, all of us are looking at the global market right now. And, and we all know that linear broadcasters are, are hurting. You know, the SBODs, you know, have gone in there and it's making the linear business much more challenging. And, you know, when the linear business gets challenged, that means that 
there are fewer shows coming out of them. And so, you know, that's not good. You know, there's a, we need broadcasters to make our content and they need us to make content for them. So I think that, you know, Shastri for some time had looked around the world and said, what would be the right deal for our company? You know, would it be some sort of deal with a UK producer? You know, would it be uh, something in Canada? You know, do we get bigger even than, than we are now in Canada? Or, or do we look to the States? And, you know, you start just having those conversations with your colleagues. And it was through one of those conversations that we realized that we were already doing quite a bit of work in the AMC Network family, primarily with Acorn. And they knew us at AMC Networks um, on their channels and, and elsewhere. So we started the, the conversation, uh, met with Josh Sapin and Ed Carroll, uh, you know, and we realized there was, there was an affinity. And that affinity was content that both companies were very much driven by making great content. And, you know, it wasn't just about the bottom line, and of course, business, but it really was first and foremost, how can we make great content? And so those conversations blossomed. And in the end, they made the investment, which is quite remarkable. And I think is, uh, I believe it's going to be everything we hope for, maybe a bit more. How does it change? Um, how does it change the company day to day having that that sort of backing, but also that involvement from them? I, I you know, it's been a week, <laughs> but I, I don't think it's in any way. I mean, it hasn't changed the day to day other than to be honest, I'm maybe a bit more informed now. You know, obviously the deal was announced last week, but we'd started in a soft way working together. But, I, you know, I, we've got more intelligence now about the market, the US market, and a little bit the international market than we had before this deal with, with AMC. I know what the AMC networks, at least, are looking for. Sundance and, you know, IFC and BBC America and AMC, Acorn. I mean, the list, that list, Shutter. I mean, it's a really terrific list of channels. So I now know what they're looking for. You know, I know, you know, the type of show they're looking for when they need that show so that we're able to not only look at our own development slate and see if we've got anything. And if we don't actually reach out to agents and writers and, and start that dialogue. So in a way, I'm coming at my job, certainly and my team's job with just more intelligence than I had a week ago. So, you know, I think there's that. Suddenly we've got a way of if we see a show that so what I call on the bubble, show that that might well get ordered. My gosh, we might just pull all the money together. I'm able to actually now go to, to AMC Networks and say, here's this show we've got, which we think we might be able to shoot this summer. And, you know, it's a fast track into a decision. So as a producer, you're always sitting on the outside looking at broadcasters and thinking, you know, oh, I'm going to pitch my show. What shall I pitch? And you had no intelligence. So I think that's a real positive. And the other thing that's interesting, you know, I, I keep using the word co-production and, and you know this of me, I, you know, to me, I think co-productions are it. I, I've always thought that. But what's interesting for me is that the response from broadcasters, not just here in Canada, but in England and in France, for example, is very, very positive because they see this as a way of possibly partnering with AMC. You know, is, uh, is there a show of theirs that might be of interest to AMC Network? So I think it's going to be a very good thing. Clive. Are you effectively um, like AMC Studios Toronto now? Is it, is it, do they have sort of first look at all your ideas how does this affect your work with with other broadcasters yeah no but they don't they don't have a first look they are on our board we're a board of five and and amc have two people on our board now which is great no there, there's no official first look in any way and you know again i'm starting to understand their channels and the truth is that there will always be probably some content that we make clive that that doesn't work on an amc channel so i think that you know we're not amc's kid a 
Canadian on by any means, but there's going to be a synergy there. I mean, it's a two-way street. So if in, it's a, you know, maybe it's a multi-lane street, but, you know, I will go to them and say, we're about to have a show that might get ordered here in Canada or out of France, for example. Might you be interested? La, la, la. And then they might say to me, Christina, we really need something for this channel. What have you got? Can you look? We're a little bit, you know, whatever. And that's the process. And and the other way, I suppose, and, and again, this has not been a big driver of the deal, was that it's possible they may have a show they want to shoot up in Canada, um, especially on the East Coast. And, you know, we might then be the perfect company to obviously to produce that show for them. So, um, yeah, so that, that's really how, how, how it's looking. You've also hired um, Deborah Nathan, who um, a lot of people know from work at the, the CBC. Tell us a, a little bit about that hire. Well, you know, content is everything. I mean, it is. And if, you know, last year was a great year, a very good year for us. I'm certainly hoping 2021 and 2022 will be equally good years. And, you know, and the reality is if you have a lot of shows going, you need senior executives, you know, you know, you need people who've done this before, you know, getting a first season of a series up on its feet is hard work, you know, and, and you, it's really only, I mean, if, if I look at any of our long running shows, they really found their groove and I'm not even going to say second season, sometimes even third season. It's just the reality of the beast. It's the reality of what's on paper becomes a different thing in the hands of the directors and the actors and all of that. And so suddenly it's slightly different and you learn, you just constantly learn. So, so Deb Nathan, you know, in, in looking at our slate right now, we've got some great new shows coming up. We just needed another person who was experienced, who knew, you know, the writing community. I mean, Deb is really well respected. I have to say with writers, I've had more uh, emails from writers telling me, you know, what a great hire, Christina. So we're, we're pretty excited. So it just more work means, you know, we need more bodies. And uh, so she'll be based here in Toronto and we'll certainly take lead on one of our current projects, i.e. a project that's going into production. She'll take lead on that and then she'll take point on, on a couple of others and then she'll just be part of the creative team as we brainstorm, you know, which is which happens every single day. I mean, we had a project come to us this last week and, you know, we need to brainstorm. Like, who do we bring in? You know, who's the producer that we bring in? Who's the showrunner we might bring in? Blah, blah, blah. So um, I'm pretty excited that she's joining the team. Uh, does the hire and all the, the AMC investment, has it has it changed your role at, at the company at all? Well, not really. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I, I just love what I do. I am grateful every single day that somehow I found this industry. I And I, I really mean that. I, I just love what I do. So I think that, you know, the AMC probably means even more work, to be honest, um, which is great. Having a new hire in Deb means that she can take, you know, with Alex Finley in, in London and um, and Julie Lacey here, that, you know, they can sort of take the creative load, which is fantastic. So, um, yeah, it's probably, I, I think the workload's about the same. I think the biggest thing that I'm going to be really, I think, more and more doing is just figuring out as it gets more challenging. It, 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 it's relatively challenging in Canada right now on the linear side. And it's just, that's the key right now is the way many people, including us, by the way, made our shows, you know, which was a great reliance on Canadian broadcasters, the Canadian government system. I don't think that's going to go on a whole lot longer. And so therefore, how are we going to continue to make our shows? And I think that's finding like-minded broadcasters, to be honest, outside of Canada, you know, whether it's in the UK or France or Germany or, you know, New Zealand, Australia. And, you know, I sometimes we all joke about how many MIPS and MIPOM we've all been to over the decade. But I will say that for me, you know, that's where 
where I have made some of my strongest connections is going to those markets. And, you know, you sort of suddenly this person you've known for 20 odd years is now the head of drama at a network. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, wow, you know, how, how, and because you know each other and you've maybe made a show together, which is always helpful. So I think my job is going to be continue to figure out how we finance our content, which still relies on Canada to some extent. I mean, they'll all still be, most of them will probably all be shot here still, though the, the you know, the, the behind the camera jobs will be here. I think a, a lot of our shows will be written by Canadians, directed by Canadians, but I think they just might be relying on some, some key pre-sales on the international side. And then maybe, of course, maybe a pre-sale into the AMC Networks family. No thoughts of just ab- abandoning the linear strategy altogether and, and plowing it all into to getting a big streamer commission? Well, no, I'm not ready to abandon it. I don't, I mean, listen, I mean, I don't know, you know, I'm not a broadcaster. They've got their challenges. I mean, God, I don't know the half of it. But no, I mean, we, you know, there's, there's, you know, certainly I think certainly in the foreseeable future, we're going to have linear broadcasters. So how can we partner them up? You know, I mean, I look at Murdoch Mysteries, I think uh, Murdoch Mysteries and Frankie Drake, actually, both of those were broadcast partnerships, which weren't treaty co-production in any way, but where we partnered UK TV up with the CBC, you know, there, you know, and the shows got made, you know, and, and they couldn't have been made without those UK TV pre-sales in there. If I think about the work we've been doing with Acorn lately. That's very much, you know, in the case of Sounds, we had, you know, a New Zealand broadcaster combined with the CBC, combined with Acorn, and then, of course, we, the, the all-important distributor. Let's not forget the, the international distributors in this thing. But there was the situation where Acorn couldn't pay for the full freight of the show. Neither could New Zealand, neither could Canada. But you come together and the three of you combined with your distributor, you know, the show gets made. Yeah, I think that model works and it, it's actually a very good model for producers. You know, I think that, you know, certainly we've only done one show for one of the big streamers. And even in that instance, it was a bit of a hybrid because we brought some pre-sales to the table. Not that I wouldn't mind making one for the big streamers. Um, But usually in that instance, they take global rights, Clive. And and so therefore, you know, you're producing the show for them. And what I've always liked, I suppose, is bringing together all those little bits of money around the world and the partnership. And it's so far held Shafter in pretty good stead. Finally, are there any particular audience trends that you'd like to try and put your finger on for as moving forwards in drama I mean I guess the challenge is you have to look so far into the future with drama but um, coming out the back of this pandemic what are people going to want to be watching in scripted content well I think one of the things that that we've been focusing on now for about a year and a bit I suppose um, and in, in a way it comes off you know again shows like Murdoch or Hudson and Rack or um, Frankie is that I think there's a big market for co-view shows you know shows that are too dark, you know, shows that, you know, that one of the words that we used to call them are blue sky shows, you know, they're, they're hopeful, they're optimistic, they're not too dark, they're easy television uh, in terms of, you know, sometimes serialized television can be, uh, we all love it, but it, it feels like a big responsibility, you know, oh God, I missed, you know, whatever, or whatever it is, it just feels often like a lot. And if you can make these more standalone episodes where, you know, you come into a show, and, and I think the key is it's that you fall in love with those characters, you know, and you just happen to have a, a mystery as your A story for the 44 minute, but you don't really often remember the mystery. What you remember are those relationships that you formed with this set of characters. So I think Shaftesbury's, you know, I think that that done us very well as a company. I think I don't think there's been a lot of that sort of content made. I think our, we're trying also to see about coming off Murdoch where it really is a co-view show so you might actually have your protagonist be um, in their team and it, 
so it would be a series, you know, I, I show something, you know, I, I think of Enola Holmes. I mean, that bar is pretty high. Um, but there's a show that my husband and I watched and we absolutely love. But it was a kid protagonist. It was, a you know, a young person protagonist. So, you know, young people liked it. We certainly loved it. So I think trying to find a show where, you know, whether you're 10, 12 years age or you're in your 20s or you're in your 50s, you can all sit down and watch it. And it's hopeful, you know, I mean, I, I don't think that's going to go way in the short term. 2021 is still going to be about the pandemic. To some extent, probably 2022 will be. And and there's the whole, I think it's just been this last couple of years, a bit of it sobering, you know, in terms of health and economy. And I think certainly I, for one, want content that I could escape a bit, escape in a way that's yeah optimistic. So, so if I look at our slate, we've got a bunch of those shows. We're going to start a new show, which will be announced shortly. As soon as insurance comes in, um, which will very much be a co-view show with an American um, broadcaster. So we're going to announce that soon. And that will be the first of what I hope will be quite a few of these coming up. Christina Jennings from Shaftesbury, talking to Clive Whittingham. Richard Farnborough is founder and former chief executive of UK unscripted indie Reef Television, a business which he sold to Zinc Media Group and stepped down from several years ago. He's now got together with a series of angel investors and a board of advisors, including former Warner Brothers UK chief Claire Hungate, to launch Must TV, a company aiming to make it easier for consumers to find the shows they want by aggregating their streaming services. Farnborough spoke to Ruth Laws about the venture, how it aims to prevent another quibby from happening, and his concerns for the future of UK independent producers. Well, the, the background is that I've been a TV producer for 25 years, probably, you know, BBC and CNN talkback, had my own production company, which we sold to Zinc Media PLC in 2015. And then actually I exited that late 2018. And one of the things that I've been really exercised about is in recent years, there's so much content now available to viewers and people can't find the great stuff. They can't work their way through the huge kind of amounts of shows coming at them from all these different streamers and so actually you know with my tv produced hat on i thought how do we solve the problem of content discovery for viewers uh, and how how can we do that in a really elegant and beautiful way and so with a couple of other people have come up with this with this idea of must tv and what we're what we're here to do is to help people just shorten the journey between thinking, what am I going to watch tonight, today, and actually sitting down and watching it? Because you know, a lot of anecdotal evidence that we all know is that we sit down, we turn on Netflix or iPlayer or Amazon, and we spend half an hour scrolling through stuff and then kind of scratch heads and we can't find anything. And then we end up watching Friends because we just go back to what's familiar <laughs> and kind of stuff that we already know. And it, there's so much great stuff out there. Uh, and obviously the big shows, such as the Bridgertons and the Queen's Gambit, are getting a a lot of coverage but actually our job at must tv is to help point people to maybe shows they wouldn't discover otherwise shows on the, some of the streamers they don't know about so we are all about content discovery and we're all about helping people get to those shows in as easy and as lovely a way as possible and how that work will that be through external links to streamers or will that be embedded and you'll have partnerships with various video on demand platforms so we've just launched a beta version of must tv just before christmas and it's looks fantastic.
fantastic. It's a, for anybody who wants to go to it, it's a must.app. And what we're doing in this first version is we look at what all the critics are saying about a TV show. So we look at all the current shows that are launching. We see what the critics are saying. We basically put all that into one single review. So we're aggregating what the critics are saying about shows. And then we're presenting that to our users in the form of a score. So every show that is out, that is being talked about at the moment that people are coming to, we are rating and we're summing up what critics are saying in a single piece of content. So you can get a sense very, very quickly what shows are worth watching right now. So that's the simplest version of Must TV. And that's how we've launched it in this beta phase. Now, what we are doing is later this year, we're doing another quite significant fundraise with investors. And we're going to be raising money to make it a more sophisticated and kind of more responsive product. And the two additional elements that we're going to be adding is one, the ability for our users to leave their own reviews and scores. So that's what we're calling the TripAdvisor version of Must TV, where you can watch a show and you'll post your own reviews and scores. And that will actually be really interesting data for us to then reflect back to other users in exactly the same way that you look at, you know, maybe open table for restaurants or TripAdvisor for hotels, whatever. But then obviously the other part is us developing our deeper tech where we can personalize recommendations to you as a user. Now, personalized recommendations are not new and we are already used to them because when we use Netflix, we're getting stuff recommended to us based on our viewing history. We're getting personalized recommendations coming at us constantly through our devices and everything. But actually, the unique thing about Must TV is that we will sit at the middle of your viewing ecosystem. So we sit at the middle of the fact that you have maybe Netflix, Amazon, iPlayer, All4, Five, ITV, Disney Plus, whatever, you know, and increasingly, I mean, in the US now, many people now have on average about four subscriptionists video on demand services, in addition to some of the more the kind of free AVODs or the BVODs. And we sit in the middle of all of those services that you have and then we can make recommendations are for you so we might see the fact that you really loved queen's gambit on netflix and then we can make a recommendation for you off the back of that on something on amazon or on disney plus or on the bbc so whereas if you're getting a recommendation from netflix they're going to be recommending a netflix show they're trying to keep you up quite understandably in their own walled garden so we said at the couple of words that we use about must a lot is that we are independent and that we're trusted so we need to deliver really independent recommendations to you off the information that you've shared with us that can absolutely be trusted to deliver a great show for you to watch. So that that's that's the sort of three layers of service that Must TV offers. Um, and why do you think it stands out against other platforms? And why have you decided to launch it now? So I'll take those questions sort of in reverse. So we've launched it now because when I was first thinking about this, when I you know left Reef Television and Zinc Media in late 2018, I mean, I, I very much wanted to stay in the TV world. I love producing shows and I will quite probably continue with one foot dipped in the world of production anyway. But it was simply because I saw that there was a problem. I saw that there was a problem around content discovery. And that, of course, has been advanced by the fact that there are more and more streamers have launched in the last four years, you know, and has become a much bigger part of our viewing world. So it was absolutely about me seeing that there was a massive problem that needed solving. There was an interesting bit of research done 
done by Ericsson a few years ago that claimed that people were spending on average 51 minutes a day looking for stuff before they actually watched anything. Now, that feels slightly over the top to me, but I think we all recognise the problem because we've all, everybody has had this problem who's got an SVOD or even just on iPlayer or on maybe all four on ITV Hub. We all have this problem of trying to find stuff and the endless scroll. So the reason I wanted to start it was because I saw there was a problem needed solving. And of course, in the year or so that I've been working on Must TV, more services have launched. The problem has become bigger. So actually, Disney Plus launched on the first day of lockdown last year. Another massive service, Apple launched just before that, Apple TV. Discovery Plus has just launched now. There are definitely more services coming down the track. Obviously, in the US, Peacock has launched. We know there's sort of more niche SVODs coming constantly. That's another really interesting area. So it's absolutely a, a problem that I wanted to solve and the thought that I had the skills as a producer and with my network in TV with the ability to solve that problem. The reason your sort of first part of your question was about how we're different from other platforms. We absolutely are not pretending to be a content provider ourselves. So we're in no way saying that we are going to be a Netflix or a, uh, or an Amazon or a, even one of the niche SVODs where we carry content that we deliver. We are the mediator between the viewer and the content provider. So we effectively sit in the middle of that journey simply to make it better. So we're just about making the ease of that decision-making process far, far better for our users. And we, we have no intention of, for example, commissioning content to own. But what is going to be really interesting is how we can just, uh, currently at Must TV, if you read a review on Must, read a review of a show, you like it, you can click on the play button, we'll take you straight through to that show. So if you have a Netflix account already, uh, you read a review of a Netflix show, you can click on on the play button on Must. And if if the APIs are working, that will take you straight through and you can then watch the show. So we're trying to create a very seamless journey. We're obviously in beta at the moment. So that, you know, technology, depending on uh, how your tech is set up and depending on the nature of the actual SVOD might or might not work but by and large you know that's absolutely what we're aiming for is to make that journey as easy as possible um so we're not a content provider we're absolutely about mediating the kind of journey between you thinking what am I going to watch and watching it and our mantra is the 15 minutes you spend on must looking for a show to watch should be as enjoyable as the two hours you then spend watching it you know we want to make it a really nice place to spend time Um, and why aren't you interested in commissioning content in the future is it because you want to keep your mission clear there's enough people commissioning content and actually there's a lot of very very good tv out there our job is absolutely about signposting that you know we've got a really clear mission we got really understand very clearly what the problem is that we're trying to solve uh, and also frankly getting into the commissioning game is hugely capital intensive people like netflix have got very deep pockets who are doing that very successfully you need to have a very very clear branding and consumer relationship really interesting how quibi in the space that it's taken us to go from starting to develop must to actually launching quibi started and folded so you know goes to prove how tough it is and they had however many billions to spend on making it a success so yeah no we've got no intention of commissioning stuff one thing that we are really interested in is how we can aggregate streaming service how we you know maybe there is a place down the line for us to be a place which is a single portal for all of your streaming services so you might want to have three or four SVODs and actually you can then do your billing through Must TV you can do your password 
forwarding through Must TV. You can do your watch listing through Must TV. And maybe there'll be a time when we can say we can give you four or five uh, S6, S4 services for the price of three, for example. You know, and I think there is some interest in this now about who is going to most effectively bundle up those streaming services. And clearly people like Sky are looking at that now and thinking, what can they do on Sky Q, for example, to make that easier for users? Um, I was also wondering, you did touch upon it earlier about some research that had perhaps informed your decision to launch Must TV. Um, you said that consumers spend about 51 minutes deciding what to watch. I wondered if you'd commissioned any of your own research at all, or if there was any data that you could share. Yeah, I mean, that 51 minutes is a bit of Ericsson research from a few years ago. I mean, I'm not sure. I think we feel that that is probably an exaggeration, but it does talk to a bigger truth that we all understand, which is that the endless scroll is a problem that people have. uh, And that's a problem that's not going to go away. I mean, I think the data that we're really interested in actually is the huge growth in subscription services and that the number of people who are taking up subscription services. So I think now 16 million, 16, 17 million UK households now have pay for SVOD services. That's about 60% of UK households. In the year that we've been working on Must, that's gone up from 13 million. So that's been a really significant jump, obviously clearly accelerated by COVID, inevitably, clearly accelerated by new services coming into the market, such as Disney and, and Apple. That, that is an immense tipping point that's taken place. And by by the way, in the US, I think 75% of households have subscription services and a significant number of those households have more than one. And I think many of them have four SVODs. So that's the data that we're really interested in is seeing that people now have this huge amount of choice and it's all on a catch-up service. And one of the things that, you know, as a producer, I know only too well, and as a viewer, you will know, is that we spent many, most of our viewing years being dictated what we were going to watch when by a scheduler. And that, of course, is no longer the case. You know, we did have someone to tell us what to watch at eight o'clock on a Sunday night, which was going to be a costume drama, or a Wednesday night at nine was going to be a nice factual documentary, or a Saturday night entertainment show. That was dictated for many years by the the all-controlling scheduler and channel controller. That's gone. Viewers don't now have anyone to tell them what to watch when. So they have the luxury of choice. They have the superabundance of choice, but they now are kind of lost. They need some help. That is the thing, the, the data that we've been really interested in. And you spoke a little bit about subscription models. I think I read that you're planning on there being a £2.50 a month subscription for Must TV um, in year two. Can you talk me through your subscription charge plans? Yeah, I mean, we're not going to go into too much detail about the commercial uh, rationale for Must at this stage. We're very happy to give you the sort of broad picture and then we we think there are probably four pillars of revenue streams for must one of which is advertising because there is this huge proliferation of uh, streaming services at the moment and actually they recognize you know marketing is going to be a big part of what they've got to do they've got to get their shows in front of an audience so we think we're really well positioned to help those streaming services promote their content. It must TV is all about trust. So if we promote content, we'll absolutely be branding it as promoted content. Um, but we're in a position to do content marketing for streaming services and help promote what they do. Need to say there's also, uh, as with many products like this, there's an affiliate sales element where people click through and buy a show or a subscription. There will be some interesting data that we're able to access under very strict GDPR regulations around you know how people use the 
services and what the shows they're interested in. And then we do think there is an interesting subscription element for what we're calling the super fans. There'll be a sort of premium must-TV where you maybe get an extra level of personalization within the recommendations. Also, actually, where we think there's a real opportunity as we get back post-COVID, hopefully not too long, where there'll be in real life events, uh, maybe screenings with producers and stars, but also actually online events. You know, one of the things we're really interested in is the fact uh, online and virtual book clubs have been really big during the pandemic and actually will continue to be big post-pandemic. And we think there's an opportunity in that space for online TV clubs in the same way as book clubs, because actually if you're going to talk about the latest Sally Rooney novel over uh, a couple of glasses of wine in a book club online, why not do it about the actual TV show of normal people? We think that's a really big opportunity. And by the way, that taps into another big element of must, which is about community and creating communities. Obviously, it's not we're not the first people to look at how you solve the problem of content recommendation. And the one thing we've identified is the competitors in this space are not really interested in editorial human voice. And so one of the things we're going quite big on is actually how we have a really clear and distinctive voice and how we add our own editorial to those recommendations. So we're not just about a kind of bot giving you a recommendation based on the fact that you've put in that you, you know, these are the services that I have and these are the five shows that I like watching. So we've got a, a head of editorial who's doing a fantastic job. Um, that's a team that we're going to be building quite quickly, actually, over time. We have worked with a third party tech business to build the product as it is now for this first beta phase. And we're currently also working with a marketing business to uh, help expand our reach with audiences through social media marketing. So you know, as with all good startups, we've had to balance what do we do in-house with stuff that we kind of work with partners to deliver. I also wondered how it's going to work in terms of territorial expansion. Is it just in the English language at the moment? And are you just going to be for, you know, UK users? or How, how is it going to work worldwide? So it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because actually TV is more global than ever before, probably. We have very much launched this as a UK product now. Interestingly, they're actually looking at the, uh, the analytics, the Google Analytics, 10% of our traffic is coming but less than 10 percent coming from the u.s already so people in the u.s already liking what we're doing even though obviously we're very much tailored to a uk audience but that's simply because a lot of the shows that we're featuring you know whether you know it's a show on sky for example that's uh, that's maybe dropped from uh hbo or if it's a netflix show many of those shows will be available in the u.s as well as in the uk some of our content that we cover is very much you know uk only so absolutely targeted at the uk only in this phase as i mentioned earlier we're going to be doing a bigger fundraise this summer and after that fundraise the plan is then to roll out a specific version in the us and europe northern europe and possibly actually because we're talking to investors in southeast asia as well we are looking quite strongly at launching in southeast asia and in australia new zealand there are some sort of slightly different factors there. the tv landscape slightly different in southeast asia which is again fascinating and we will be then geo-blocking the product. So as you come, if you come to Must in North America, for example, you'll be getting a different product to Must that you see in the UK. And it'll be much more tailored to your US kind of subscriptions that you can have. And obviously, you'll be looking at a, a show that on HBO Max you get in the US, but in the UK, it's a show you get on Sky. And that's quite an important distinction. Oh, amazing. Um, and I also saw you've got plans for a wider ecosystem. Uh, I think you, you're planning for a must-read and a must-game. I just wondered how they'll sit along 
alongside Must TV? Will they be separate sites? So I, I think the first thing to say is we feel that Must has got the potential to become a really strong brand in what we're calling kind of cultural conversation. And we want to be a brand that exists in the entertainment and cultural space. And so TV is clearly a huge opportunity. And it's also the area where I understand the landscape and you know have the networks and so on. So we want to crack it in TV first. But we think that if you come to trust the Must brand to deliver you great results in TV recommendations and what you watch, we think actually it will help you deliver great results in podcasting, for example, in sounds, in listening, in audio, whatever, you know, whatever we're going to be calling it by then. We think that actually it could have a space in books and gaming. So they will exist as related brands and there will be an ability to sort of jump between one and the other. Uh, And when we launch as a native app on iOS and on Android, they will probably sit within the same app, but within a different dropdown, for example. So you can open up the Must app and you can either go to TV or you can go to games or books or whatever. And that will happen within the same app. So that we're, we're early stage with that, but we definitely see there is an opportunity to roll Must out in other genres reasonably quickly in the next couple of years. And, I, and my suspicion is that it would be in podcasts first because, I mean, podcasts have gone crazy in the last couple of years. <laughs> and actually like tv we know there's loads of great podcasts out there but sometimes it's quite hard to find the right ones you want to listen to probably even more so because it's so much easier to produce a podcast anyone can do it from their bedroom and this is probably an example of that ruth (laughs) (laughs) what we're doing now is going to be added to the millions of podcasts out there that hopefully someone might listen to and this is more related to your background i mean you did mention that you you're first and foremost a producer and you love that and you want to keep production on the side but why why have you decided to, to move out of production and launch Must TV. Yeah, I mean, it's not really, it's no, not really any kind of big, I wouldn't say any big deal about that. I mean, I, you know, I love producing. I think there was probably a bit of me thinking want to do something slightly different for a bit, just try something slightly different. And, you know, I do, I love running Reef, really enjoy working with the people in television. I love the teamwork aspect of TV. It's one of the things that I like the most. But no, it, part of it actually is just thinking I wanted to try something slightly different, test myself and, you know, and move into a slightly different area, but it's still very much related to what I knew. So, yeah, I think there is a bit of not quite a midlife crisis, but no, absolutely about giving, you know, something else a go. And also simply the fact that I think it's this big opportunity. You know, I think there's a massive problem to be solved. And if there's a big problem to be solved, there's a big opportunity. And um, wouldn't it be lovely to think in a few years that people talk about, oh, I'm watching the show because Must has rated it 8.5 out of 10. You know, it's, what's the Must score on that show? You know, and you want to enter the vernacular. So I think there is a really an opportunity to become kind of culturally significant significant maybe hopefully also a commercially exciting opportunity for people who are involved in it and actually an opportunity you know as we do in the UK to be kind of creative and uh, you know and put brilliant people together and kind of come up with something new that other people haven't done. Um, And do you think that production is still viable? I'm guessing probably yes but just because you also mentioned earlier that there was an overwhelming amount of content. I think it's hard I mean I've obviously spent have spent a lot of time so I don't think this is related to my decision to move into must because I think there's production is always viable for people who are good and who deliver great shows and think about audiences but I think it's hard I mean I think one of the problems I think in the UK is the oversupply of production companies versus the certainly within the PSBs for example slight diminishing of demand over time globally different picture because obviously of the SVODs you've got lots of opportunities with the SVODs particularly in scripted I think the 
opportunities are getting bigger in non-scripted, which is what I've always worked in non-scripted. So I think it is hard as a seller, producer seller, you know, as a production company now. And I, I mean, I'm desperately sympathetic to those production companies who've had to weather the last 12 months with COVID because you know, a lot of them are my friends and I've been talking to them and, you know, trying to help people who have really struggled when they've not been able to go into production on a show, but which has been commissioned. And that has caused people genuine hardship alongside all the freelancers. But, you know, production is viable, uh, will be viable. It ain't easy to make a living, you know, a good living out of production. As people have always said, if you want to make loads of money, there's plenty of easier ways to do it. (laughs) I'm sure that will remain the case. But people go into making TV shows because they love making TV shows, you know, and it's at its best, it can be creative, uh, it can be collaborative, and it can be thrilling. At its worst, it can be slightly soul-destroying and backgrounding, probably. But it's, you know, much more fun than than doing an awful lot of other things. So I think it is viable. I think it's getting harder. Um, and I absolutely wish that, you know, all the best of people who are doing it. And I, I very much hope I will, you know, keep one foot in the production camp as well. Richard Farnborough from Must TV, talking with Ruth Laws. That's all for this episode. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow. But in the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.